What I'd like to do is um, look at the last words of Paul, the last words of King David, and the last words of Jesus Christ. There's some statements Paul made in 2 Timothy 4 that describe uh, his thoughts as he was nearing the end of his life. There's a prayer Jesus Christ offered up right before the crucifixion in John 17. And there's some words in 2 Samuel 23 that David is near the end of his life. And it says these be the last words of David and he's made some comments. Paul had no regrets. David had several regrets. And Jesus was, uh, of course, the perfect man. He had no regrets also, but he did leave this earth praying. So what I'd like to do that uh, today and, and, and see if we can glean any fruit from that, having the funeral this, this week has kind of put me in a little sober mindset and had me thinking along these lines. This is really not an extension of Second Corinthians. I thought I was done with the book, but I'll be drawing a few comments from there as we reflect on some of Paul's statements. So if you have your Bibles... And you turn with me to 2 Timothy. I want to read 5, 6, and 7. 2 Timothy 5, 6, and 7. Paul is talking to his son in the ministry. He is in jail. He is pretty close to being executed himself. And he tells his son in the ministry, Watch thou in all things, endure inflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. You know, that's a mouthful right there, those five things. And I have to assume, this is just my assumption, that Paul is telling his son in the ministry to do this, and he's saying, that's what I've done. Because this is what he says. Verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. So he's giving his instruction to his son in the ministry, and he's saying, I've done all these things and with all this statement. So Paul is proceeding with no regrets. Now, one of the things coming on the heel of studying these, this book, 2 Corinthians, he spoke some really hard words to them at times, but then he also spoke some very encouraging words. And you can have regrets of going into either ditch. You can be too hard, and you could go through life thinking, I shouldn't have done that. If only I wouldn't have done that. But then you can have regrets, on the other hand, of being too compassionate and saying, I should have, could have, would have. But Paul was able to find that middle road where he demonstrated plenty of compassion, but he also demonstrated pretty, a good amount of firmness. And what I would like to liken it to is a little bitty baby. Now, I don't know the time frames exactly, but if I would tell you that, oh, let's say the first six to nine months of a child's life, if it's hungry, it cries and it gets fed, right? And if it's got a wet bottom, it cries and it gets a dry bottom, and if it's got an upset stomach, it cries and mama or daddy picks it up and rocks it and comforts it and gets the burp or whatever it takes to work that out. So for six months, it learns that it is the baby. It's correct 100% of the time, every time. 
And I believe God, you're, you're smiling, and I think God has wired women in a way to do that compassion, and that's a good thing. Now, I don't know if the number is six months or nine months or 12 months, but there comes a point in time where a mom is going to have to fight that instinct and start pulling back just a little bit. Can I have an amen? Okay, good. Because if we don't, we end up with teenagers that have been never been caused displeasure all their life. So there comes a point in time, and I'm making generalizations. I've been in families where it wasn't the woman, it was the man that was too tender. You understand, I'm making gross generalizations, but I think overall he's, he's wired women to be that way. And, 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 and actually, that's why it's good to have a, a child with a mother and a father because they get both, both temperaments. And I think it does take both temperaments to raise a child. And I think being the firmness comes a little more um, natural to, to, to the father, and he's there to temper. But at the same time, being a widower for a number of time, it was sure nice to get married again because I had the firmness without the compassion. So uh, it takes two. <clears throat> but my point is, is my job as a father, as a mentor, as a teacher, as a pastor is not to make people happy 100% of the time. My job as a parent is to prepare them to take on responsibility. And once they've taken on that responsibility and they've exercised that responsibility and have been equipped to successfully handle that responsibility, that's where their true joy will come from. That's my long-term goal, right? And every child is different, and when you start pulling back and adding to and putting the responsibility, it's different with every child. It's, 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 it's so hard. But that's, I think that's common sense, correct? Unfortunately, we live in a country where when you don't create happiness, you can be accused of being overbearing or oppressive and maybe even cruel but our goal is not to create happiness in our children all the time sometimes they need to be prepared for the responsibility because the responsibility and the joy of being successful in some kind of endeavor is going to be so much richer of an enjoyment than the happiness of getting the cookie at that particular moment so sometimes, and it's, it's so funny, again, again, you know my experience. I was a widower at a very young age, and at the age of three, four, and five, I was raising three boys by myself. And God blessed me to be blessed with a wife, and she came in and she became instant mom, and she inherited a five, six, and an eight-year-old. And there I am, as a dad of experience to five years, I would hear a child fall or maybe, you know, fall off a swing or, or, or maybe skin something on, a, on, on, on some inline skates. And as a dad, you hear that cry. And you know the difference between a hurt cry 
and a mad cry, right? And you hear the cry, and oftentimes I'd hear the cry, and I wouldn't react. And my brand new wife would rush to the child's aid and look at me like, oh no, I made a mistake. I made the coldest hearted man in the history of the world. Because you can tell by the cry if it's really one or it's not. Again, I'm glad I married her because there was a tenderness I was lacking that I was so thankful she was half. All right. I'm talking about a biological sense of raising children, and most of you are nodding with me, and you're saying, yeah, that's true. Okay. I want to talk about a pastoring sense. Paul was that way with his ministry. There were times where he was very firm, and there was times where he was very compassionate. I look at Jesus Christ. You know, in his ministry, there were times where he was preaching, and the people would say, we're hungry. And the disciples would say, send them away. And Jesus would say, no, no, feed them. But a couple days later, that same crowd, they would chase him around a lake. And he would look at him. He says, the only reason you're following me is because you're feeding, you get fed. So there was times where he was firm, but there was times where he was compassionate. What's the difference? It depends, right? It depends on the situation, depends on the child. And that's what Paul could do. And at the end of his life, he could say, as a pastor, I avoided the two ditches. I found that middle ground. And when I read his, sometimes we read, I, again, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, I thank God I baptized none of you. What a horrible thing for a preacher to say, Right? But then there's other times where he says, I prayed for you and I cried for you all night long. So, so, and at the end of his life, he said, I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept my faith. I've kept the faith. He found that middle ground. <clears throat> well, I want to look at a couple people that didn't find that middle ground and look at their statements and we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. So with that being said, I want to read the last couple verses of 2 Corinthians 13, though. Notice what he says at the very end of the epistle. We just finished up. Verse 8 says, For we can do nothing against the truth but for truth. Okay? In other words, I don't care if it's woke or not. If you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, that's not Paul. They didn't use the word woke and king, you know, back then. But you understand, he faced plenty of things like that. Verse 9, for we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong, and this also we wish, even your perfection. He says, I'll do anything, I'll spend myself, I'll do whatever it takes to make you stronger. He was giving. But notice what it says in verse 10. I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. In other words, I'm, used, I'm ready to spend and be spent for you. But at the same time, I'm going to give you some hard sayings. Okay? According to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification, not to destruction. I know I'm going to say some hard things, but I'm doing it to build you up. I'm not doing it to tear you down. And at the end of life... Paul would say that. Now, my cousin and I, 
I got a cousin, my cousin Tony. We were the same age. We were like a month apart. We went to school together, junior high together. We went to the same high school together. We were roommates in college together. He stood up at my wedding. I stood up at his wedding. We were pretty close. I never had a biological brother, but in those growing up years, he was probably as close as I ever had. We were close. And he's my cousin Tony. He came from my mom's side of the family, which is Italian. And my grandmother, Serafina Conti, spoke in broken English. And she had this one saying, Spinta Dorit. Spinta Dorit. In other words, it means drive straight or center of the road. Avoid the ditch on the right, avoid the ditch on the left. Spinta Dorit. So I'm not talking in tongues. I found someone to interpret for you. But that's what I tell my children. Spinta Dorit. You're going to the ditch. Nope, nope. You've overcorrected. You've gone this way. Now you're heading into the other ditch. Spin to three, right down the middle. Well, that's what Paul was able to do in his ministry. Look at David, okay? So, David allowed happiness to, res- to preempt responsibility for he and his children. There's a, a, a saying, it's in 1 Corinthians 1.6, he's talking about his son Adonijah. And it says in scripture, he never displeased his son. Can you think of a child that never heard the word no? Isn't that scary? There's plenty of children that hear the word no, but they still go through the terrible twos. Yes? Never heard the word no. He never displeased his son. And at the end of his life, when you go to 2 Samuel 23, I'm going to go there and I'm going to read that for you. David is talking about himself, and he is a, he's a good man. He's, he's a man after God's own heart. And in 2 Samuel 23, let me read that for you. I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, The man whose Raised up on high and anointed of God, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He said, listen, God ordained me to be king. God chose me to be his mouthpiece to speak many of the psalms. I mean, he was God's man. And we skip down to verse 5, and he's saying, although my house be not so with God. David was a good king. He was a good general. He was a good soldier. He was a good friend to Jonathan. But the one thing he was not good at, he was not a good father. And his household was a mess. Okay? And I do believe one of the first things he did is he had too many wives. Anything more than one is too many. It never worked out in Scripture. And there was all kinds of rivalry going on between them children. And it's nothing new under the sun. God's plan was one man, one woman. And he deviated from that. And it cost him in his parenting and it cost that in his children. And he never corrected a child. When we go to Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, correction is an act of love, not an action of hate. Passivity is an act of hate, not love. 
when I allow my children to go on doing whatever they want, you know what I'm doing? I'm loving myself more than them. Because it is not fun to correct a child. It is not fun to spank a child. It is not fun, that child that digs in toe-to-toe. There's a part of our flesh that says, ah, forget it, right? When I say, ah, forget it, who am I loving? I'm loving me, right? And that's what David did. He did not wade in. I want to go look at another man. I want to look at the man Eli. He was a little bit different. Now, David, notice, David never displeased his child asking, why doest thou this? Eli did, but notice the difference in Eli. Okay? Eli, this is all recorded in 1 Samuel 2, 3, and 4. Okay? Eli had two sons, and it was word came back to him that these sons who were made priests were, were, were taking of the offerings. They were laying with women right there in the temple. And word got back to Eli, and Eli pulled his sons aside, and he says, why are you doing these wicked things? But he never took him out of the office. And God got after Eli. See, David never even questioned his children, why doest thou this? Eli did, but never had any follow-through to take it back. Do you understand And both men lived their lives with lots of regret. So I'm looking at Paul, and he wrote all these churches, and he wrote this sweet letter called Philippians, but he also wrote this terse letter called 1 Corinthians and Galatians. And at the end of his life, he could say, I fought the good fight, I finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Sometimes with some children, you have to be very firm. And other times, you show them grace. But what is the goal? The goal is preparing them to face the responsibilities of life, equipping them with the tools to be successful, because that's where their true joy is going to come from. The short-term perspective is, what is it? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I want to, what was it? Oompa Loompa, something like that. I want a Oompa Loompa now. That's not it, but it's pretty close. Okay. I want the candy now. No, you can't have the candy now. Ah, and you, you've all seen the kid pitch the fit in the grocery store, right? To let the kid give the piece of candy? What's that? Is that loving them or is it loving you? It's loving you because you don't want to be embarrassed in front of all the other people in the, in the grocery store, so you just want them to be quiet. And how long does the piece of candy keep them quiet? About 90 seconds, right? So they want the next thing. Right? You want to teach them self-discipline because that's life of self-discipline. Okay? All right. Let's go to the next one. Our woke, country, our woke culture defines any attempt to inhibit pleasure as oppressive. Now think about it. It defines inhibiting self-indulgence as hateful and even violent. David and Eliah were were woke, according to our current culture. But they had sorrowful ends. Why? Because God's not woke. Okay? All right. So, 
Let's read this again. 2 Corinthians 13. For we could do nothing against the truth, but for the truth's sake. There might be something in here that hurts. Right? But Paul told Timothy, preach the word, the whole word, and nothing but the word. Preach it in season, preach it out of season, preach the word. Sometimes it'll comfort, sometimes it'll correct, sometimes it'll encourage, sometimes it'll charge, sometimes it'll bring a smile, sometimes it'll just make you mad. But you know what? I'd rather you be mad at me than the Lord be mad at me, and I think that's what Paul was saying. There's a time and a season for all. Okay. So, it was hard getting through Second, actually First and Second Corinthians. Those were hard epistles. As a preacher, I would much rather go through Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians. I really would. And you know what? Those are the epistles I've preached so far. So finally, I got to go into Second Corinthians. It took me eleven years to get up the guts to get into it, but I did. Okay, I couldn't skip them. It's the Word of God. It's not fun, but you know. If at the end of my ministry, I spent all my time preaching Psalms and Philippians, I think on my deathbed, I don't think I could say, I have finished my course, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith. I did half of it. I did the easy half. Not easy for you, easy for me. Okay? So, there it is. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is quick. Dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it's discerning. The Word of God is an operation. But that operation removes sin and bad behaviors. It doesn't amputate. And that's what Paul did. His was surgically to remove specific behaviors or attitudes. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Our affliction is for a moment. It worketh for us more exceedingly weight of glory. I may have to step on your toes once in a while through preaching of the Word of God. But my goal is something much bigger and brighter at the end. And then finally, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's all of it. Okay? So that's, that's, that's the standard. Okay, let's go over here. Now, this may seem hard. <clears throat> when you're working with children... You want to mold them, and you want to grow them, and you want to bend them, but you don't want to snap them. And you, it's, it's, it's tough, because <laughs> having five children, some of them, all it takes is just a little bend, and everything's good. Something <laughs> takes getting the knee up and bending it and doing it like that, but you don't want to break any of them. And it's hard to tell. That's why he says in uh, Ephesians 6, 4, Provoke not your children to wrath in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's a way you can implement this that you can make your children angry. you got to find the right balance. That's on you, Dad. That's on you, Mom. Okay? Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Be not weary in God's correction. God, is a correct, God corrects as a father, and he does it for the people he delighteth. It is an act of love. And I want to go to 2 um, 
or first uh, Kings 12, 12 through 14. I don't know if you remember, but uh, Solomon had a son that was taking over after him. And when he took the kingdom after him, he was looking at the people and he was trying to decide how to tax the people. And he got advice from the old people and the old people said, Rehoboam, your dad was pretty tough. You know, all those things he had over in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, all those, 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 those um, homes and the orchards and, and the herds, that cost a lot of taxpayer money. And he says he was pretty tough on the people. He says all you have to do is just lighten up just a little bit and these people will be loyal and follow you. Then Rehoboam went and got some other advisors. He got the young bucks. And he says, what do you think I should do? The young guy said, bear down on him. So Rehoboam turned to the people, thought about it for three days, and he went with the young guys. And he says, You're, you thought my dad's hand on you was like lashes? He says, mine will be like scorpions. And you know what happened? The people rebelled and the kingdom got split. Okay? There's a way of going too far. You bend, but you don't break. So you want to do the behavior, and sometimes it takes a while. Okay. The goal is in parenting. I, I think we mentioned this just a couple Wednesday nights ago, and I've been, I use this all the time. My goal as a parent is to work myself out of a job. My goal is to take my children. As, you know, my sons came first. My goal of my, my sons was to prepare them to become heads of their own household. Now, it doesn't mean they still call me up and say, Dad, can I get your advice on something? That's fantastic. But for the most part, if my sons came to me, everything they did getting my permission, I did a pretty bad job of preparing them. I can understand if there's a hard decision and they need advice once in a while, that's fine, and I'm glad to give it. But at the same time, if they depended on me for everything, I have not done a good job. My job is to work myself out of a job. Got it? Well, 2 Corinthians one twenty four, Paul was saying, I don't want to have dominion over your faith. I want to be helpers of your joy. That's Paul's objective. And at the end of his life, he could say, I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. I've fought a good fight. Why? Because I was not like this on the people. I was a helper of their joy. That's my goal. Okay? 1 Peter 5.3, not, this is Peter speaking, not lording over God's heritage, but in sample to the flock. It is a whole lot better to get the flock to go one place to another if they're following you than as opposed to be behind them with whips driving them. Patrick's our farmer. What happens when you drive sheep? Right? But when you're out in front and you've earned the respect and they follow you, that's how you lead sheep. He says, Peter said, that's what I want to do. Okay? And then finally, 3 John verse 9. Here's a preacher called Diotrephes. And you know what? He was the kind of guy that liked to be number one. 
He wanted to be the chief man. He wanted everybody to know it. His goal was to have preeminence among the people. When John wrote this, he says, when I meet him, he and I are going to have a talk. It's not the way to lead God's people. This is a guy that's, this guy's a mess. Okay? So, so, Paul was preparing these people for a future minute, for a future ministry, for future leaders. Okay? Now, this is what I want to, pre- I want to talk to you about Spinta Dorit, that middle road. Here's a couple scriptures I want you to consider. The first one is in Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. You, you know this passage. This is where Jesus says, take my yoke. It's easy. You know what he's describing? He's describing Spinta Dorit. He's describing straight down the middle. He says, I'm not leaving you yokeless, but at the same time, the yoke I'm giving you is not being so much you can't do it. Do you understand the difference? He said, there is a middle road. So when your children are coming along, and I don't care if they're 5 or 15 or 25 or 35, the goal is that spent that middle of the road. You don't want them totally dependent on you. But at the same time, you've given them a path to follow, and at the same time, you're still there to guide them and help them and give advice when they need it. Okay? Yes. And every once in a while, you stick your nose in a 30-year-old. Stick in their business. But you don't do it in a way that'll provoke their anger. Just best way to do it is to ask a couple questions. <laughs> ask three or four questions. Get their wheels turning. Have you done a good job at Good job of training them. That's all it takes. Okay. Um, and then finally, I want to go to um, f- 1 Corinthians 10.13. Notice what God says here is talking about temptation. It says, but with temptation also make it the way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. When you're raising your children... I pray you give them challenges. And I, I think I've shared this before. When my children, and, and, and Link, this will show them for not being, having to work today, but this, I did, I'll use the boys as my example. And I won't do my girls because they're both here right now, so I won't embarrass them. I'll embarrass my boys who aren't here that can't defend themselves. But, but as they were growing up, my sons had different strengths and weaknesses. Okay. And 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 my oldest son was was a very strong, disciplined person, but he was an introvert. Okay. So as he came up in his teams and I looked at him, a very strong worker, a very industrious worker, a very hard worker, but an introvert. I got on the phone and I called a friend of mine that ran a pizzeria. Can you give Graham a job? She said, yeah. I said, he'll do you right. He'll work hard. But don't put him in the back working. Put him on front with the customers. He said, okay. So I tell Graham, Graham, I got you a job. He says, I don't want to work in a pizzeria. That's all right. You need it. You're thinking, which ditch are you in, Brother Dolph, right now, right? And, and he says, but Dad... I don't like dealing with people. I know that's why you need to do it. Right? So he was up front. And within a few months, he was dealing with people. And he 
got slowly got put in charge of the whole work crew, and I knew he'd be successful. He just needed to be pushed out of his comfort zone. You understand? Well, with the temptation, there's a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He didn't want to do that, but I gave him the challenge anyway. So along comes my next son, Lincoln. I'm talking about teenage Lincoln, right? Teenage Lincoln was not an introvert. In a lot of ways, he was the Pied Piper. People liked to follow him. He just had a magnetic personality. But back then, I was a little concerned about his work ethic. So I didn't call up Ron the Pizzeria guy for Lincoln. I called up Terry the farmer with the chores that never end. You're giggling. The farmers are giggling. I said, can you give him a job? I said, he could do it. Lincoln, I got your job. Well, in his mind, he didn't say, no, I don't want to do it. He thought working on a farm was cool. Then I got to drive a tractor. Well, there's a little more than just driving tractors. But it was good for him. It was, it was an area of his life where it needed bolstering. You understand? I'll even go one step further. I got a third son. And his weakness was self-discipline. And I got him position too. You know what I got him a position in? I got him a spot on a cross-country team. He had natural ability, but he didn't have the discipline to do that kind of training, to be around another cross. So I was always looking for my children. I was looking for weaknesses. You know, we use that word reckoning. What's a reckoning? A reckoning is when you you look at where a child is, and you look at where they should be at a certain age, in some areas of their life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially, they may be ahead of the game. You go, okay. But in some areas, they might be a little bit behind, so you work on those, and you try to push them along, and you try to get them to a point about where they should be. And I'm not one of these over-treavers trying to put everyone, make my kid the star of the star of the start. no. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just working on weaknesses. Well, uh, that's what Paul was doing. He was looking at churches. And some churches were good in certain areas, but in other areas they were not. The Thessalonians were lazy. He wrote a hard letter about working there. The Corinthians were not lazy. They were prideful, so he worked on their pride. In other words, when we look at Paul... We look at him, and sometimes he was tough, sometimes easy, sometimes he was hard, sometimes he was encouraging, but at the end of his life, he could say it. Amen. Okay. So, let's keep on going. Paul's practiced a balanced ministry. In 2 Timothy um, 1, 3 through 8, I just want to show you what he did for his son in the ministry. He said, Paul said, I was mindful of your tear, with tears of Timothy. He says, I prayed for you. And then he went and gave him all the responsibilities they had to do. So there's love, but also the charging. He says, Timothy, I'm not going to be around much longer. You're going to have to do this preaching on your own. These are the tools. These are how you're going to have to be equipped. These are the responsibilities you have. I want you to be able to successfully exercise these. So he did. And at the end of his life... He could say his comfort. Philippians, 
uh, 4, verse 7 and verse 21. I'm sorry, not Philippians, Philemon. Verses 4 through 7 and 21. Paul was great for Philemon. He prayed for Philemon, but he also said, Philemon, you need a little work on your forgiveness. And he charged him in the area that it was weak. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 7, 9, Paul did enjoy sternly correcting the Corinthians, but you know what he enjoyed more? The fruits after they were corrected. And so did the Corinthians. So it's not fun correcting. Okay, let me, I'm right near the end. Balance gave Paul peace. He's at the end of his life. And he says, I'm ready to be offered up. No regrets. Paul's last words, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. David's, it says he was to be lightning of the morning. He said, although my house need not, be not so with God. He had regrets concerning family. And then in Jesus' last statement in that whole prayer, he starts off on one through five. He says, Jesus is praying to God. And he says, the job you gave me, I finished. The disciples you gave me, I trained them. I gave them every word. Now I'm stepping out of the scene, about verse 18. He says, I'm stepping out of the scene. They're going to have to go forth and preach the word. They're going to have to do it without me. Lord, bless them. Bless them in the preaching of it. Bless them in the interaction with each other. Sometimes preachers fight. Bless them in their interaction with the people. And with that, he could say, I fought the good fight. Okay, let me finish up 2 Corinthians 13 one more time. Notice this in Paul's ministry. Paul did these things in verse 8, 9, and 10, and that's why he could say, I got peace. Okay? For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Everything I did, everything I said was based on Scripture, was based on God's Word, was based on God's will. This is the given. And you know what? There's no better advice Paul could ever give anyone other than God's word. Everything else is second best. Verse 9. For we are glad when we are weak, ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. I'm nothing. I, I will spent, I'll be spent. I think most biological parents think that of their children, we'll do anything. We'll stay up late, we'll work a second job, we'll sacrifice, we'll spend two days putting together a present when I can't follow the directions. Right? We'll do, we'll do anything like for our children. Because we want our children to be ahead of where we're at. But sometimes in order to get them ahead where we're at, we've got to displease them. We've got to provide a little bit of discomfort in their life. So imagine Graham at the front desk. person comes up for the very first time, and they order cheese and pepperoni. On there, there's cheese and mushrooms. And they come back mad because they got the wrong pizza. And he's thinking, what did my dad get me into? To a 17-year-old, that's the end of the world. 
to a 30-something-old now? He said, well, I'm sure glad I had that experience early on. Because as you go through work and life and church and the military and everything else he went through, he's going to get confronted, right? Better over cheese and pepperoni than over something where someone's life is at state, let's say in the military presence. Verse 10, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness. I will be firm if I have to. According to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. My goal is to build you up. My goal is to build every one of my children up. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard on them. Sometimes it's hard on me. But you know what's fun? After you get through the trial and you see the fruits of good decisions. And that's where Paul was at the end of his life. He saw the fruit of good decisions. So this is encouragement, whether it be your life, whether it be the life of someone close to you, like a spouse, your children, your grandchildren, or people in the church that you're working at, sometimes it's hard to confront. But if you don't, you're going to have that guilt that shoulda, woulda, coulda. And I want us to go through a life without the shoulda, woulda, coulda's. So that was Paul. That was Paul's ministry. And he wrote these two hard letters. But he could say at the end of his life, he said, I got peace. I'm ready to be offered up. May the Lord help us to have those kind of consciences. Thank you.